beautiful. That's what we need to do is lay it down. Started a new series last week and continued on this week uh, 45 times in the Bible where two very powerful words appear, but God. No matter where we find ourselves, there is a possibility for radical change. There is a possibility of deliverance. But God is the key to that. And we're going to look this morning at a passage of scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 14 through 18. Haters hate, but God. There are the critics out there. There are those who seem to want to discourage and to bring down, but God. Turn with me uh, to that passage and stand in God's honor as I want to read from our text. 1 Samuel 23, beginning at verse 14. David stayed in the desert strongholds, and in the hills of the desert as if day after day Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hand. While David was at Horish in the desert as if, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horish. Let's pray. Father, we all come. You know us, Lord. You know what tends to be on our minds, what at times seems to, well, quite frankly, control our thoughts more than worshiping you. Thankful, Lord, but God. Minister to us as we continue seeking you this morning, as we look at your servant David. And Father, um, may we learn. May we learn of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When a small child falls and scrapes his knee, there is this moment where the child, I think it's this, has a blank stare. Kind of a, but that's only a moment. What follows is a natural response. From getting that ouchie. What happens? Tears begin to stream down. And there is a scream of agony. And suddenly the child looks for someone to provide comfort. Uh, a mom or a dad or a grandparent that's nearby. That they can go and get that hug. That sense of reassurance. That they're loved. You know what? Children of God get ouchies too. Some of those uh, may be self-inflicted. I love uh, the message's uh, paraphrase of Psalm 25, verse 15. It says, If I keep my eyes on God, I won't trip over my own feet. How often do we trip over our own feet? Because we're not looking at God. We're looking somewhere else. That ouchie's on us. <laughs> but there are other ouchies. 
that have nothing to do with our behavior. They don't come in accordance with how we respond or an action that we take. They come from somewhere else. And sometimes those kind of ouchies bring questions to us. Why am I facing this difficulty? And the natural response is to have that blank stare for a moment and then begin to scream and shout, Why me? Why is this happening to me? Why this difficulty? God? You know, there are certain verses, I have to admit it, sometimes it would be nice to get an eraser. And one of those is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Simply says this, do everything. That's a big word, isn't it? Do everything without complaining or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, which shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. That is not natural. That is supernatural. Because we are God's children who when we get hurt, there's the blank stare and then the grumbling and the arguing commence. <laughs> I miss a lot of people who have gone on to heaven now. And as I prepared for this message, uh, one of those people came to my mind, uh, Walter Newland. So many of us loved Walter, I did too. Look forward to seeing him again. I figured if there's anybody who can manage to save money in heaven, it would be Walter. If you knew Walter. Um, I want to say this dealt with Greg, but I can't remember if it's by. But one day Walter said to a person, whether it was Greg or someone else, he said, I am so blessed. Today I get to go to work. How often do we say, hmm, I've got to go to work. I'm going to get out of bed and I've got to go there and they don't appreciate me. You know. you know what it means when we go to work? You've got a job. Or how am I to say, I get to do dishes today. What does that mean? I got to eat. Well, what does that mean? I actually had dishes to put the food on. I am blessed. Or I get to do laundry today. You know, I always think about this one uh, friend of our church we in that she had um, three or four kids, and she said, I caught up with the laundry once for about two or three hours. Man, but what does it mean that you get to do laundry? It means you've got clothes, or you've got bed coverings, or other things that need to be washed. You are blessed. And so often, we get so caught up in what we want, or what we think we need that we don't have, that we miss what we do have. And how blessed that we truly are. I love a saying by Corey Ten Boom, which I've used many times. Corey said this. She said, look around and be distressed. Look inside and be depressed. Look above and be at rest. God's life has its challenges. But there is a way to find rest and peace outside of looking around us or looking inside of us. And it is in the God who is above us that where we can find that peace. As we look at our passage, we, we find David 
He's a guy who's known as a man after God's own heart. <laughs> but he's dealing with quite a few ouchies as he has a jealous king who is chasing him down. I mean, listen, guys, this isn't Cain. This isn't the, guy, the kind of guy that takes out a brother. This isn't Haman, who obviously deserved the bad stuff. Or it's not Judas or an evil guy like King Herod. This is a guy called a man after God's own heart. And yet he's being hunted. He's being chased down. And so often in this culture, people almost have the idea. Um, remember that movie? I love the movie, by the way, uh, Pay It Forward. And it was the idea, oh, you know, you, you, you do good to someone else and they'll do good to someone else. And, you know, before long, everybody's just doing good to everybody else. And there's no bad because everybody's busy doing good to everybody else. But it doesn't work that way. You can do good to someone else, and yet bad things can still happen to you. And bad things can happen to good people. And so was the case here with David. Jesus said it like this. God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So David's on the run. David is suffering, not because of something that he did. Man, it's hard to fathom. It's hard to understand. Why me, Lord? It's in the midst of this decade. By the way, this lasted a decade, this being on the run, this being a fugitive. Uh, a couple of the powerful psalms recorded in the book of Psalms by David happened during this tough time of his life, these many ouchies <laughs> that he faced. Um, this is from Psalm 63, first four verses. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there's no water, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I lift up my hands. So here's David. He would love to be in a, a sanctuary worshiping God. He would love to be in a safe place where he could sing songs of praise, where he could pray, and where he could join with others who love God. But he's in the wilderness. Yeah, he's hand in hand with some other people he can trust, but it's not a safe place. Someone is seeking to kill him, to take his life. This jealous king. At least this is from Psalm 59. Verses 3 and 4, he makes this confession. He says, See how they lie and wait for me? Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, Lord. I've done no wrong, yet they're ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look on my plight. Bad things happen to good people. He's on the run. Why is he on the run? Because years ago, when he was, you know, a shepherd boy, he, he ended up... Uh, hearing about this brute as he walked in on a battle that took place by the name of Goliath and through obedience to God took the guy out with a sling right between the eyes. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Kaboom! You know, the big oak falls <laughs> and it's over. And what happened out of that is he became an overnight sensation, a celebrity, a star is born. Suddenly, this song comes out, and uh, you know, on the 
Jerusalem top 40 or whatever it was. And it said, uh, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. The ladies were noticing him. He was suddenly popular. The name on everybody's lips. But King Saul thought, that's supposed to be my name. I'm supposed to be the one that gets this attention. And so this fierce jealousy occurs in King Saul. And thus there becomes this obsession to take out David. And that's where David finds himself. Matter of fact, one of the scriptures where uh, a sword was thrown at David and before David had escaped and took off on the run. And it says this in that text. It says, and from that time Saul kept a close eye on David. Someone has said the music of the sanctuary is often forged in the trials of the saints. Spurgeon said, God gets his best soldiers out of the highlands of afflictions. God does not exclude us from trials, but rather enables us to live victoriously as we face trials. 1 Peter 4.14 says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. That's a blessing. It says, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You see, as we go through those times of difficulties that haters hate, when we are right with God, we are shielded and we are sheltered according to His presence. James Montgomery Boy said in his commentary on this, he said, If you understand those two words, but God, they will save your soul. If you recall them daily and live by them, they will transform your life completely. And notice our text here as they are shared in verse 14. It says, day after day, Saul searched for him, but God. But God did not give David into his hands. Thank God. Guys, we will face suffering. That's not the question. The question is, what will we learn through the suffering that we face? L listen to what Spurgeon uh, said. He said, the hardest-hearted, most unlovely Christians in all the world are those who have never had much trouble. And those who are the most sympathizing, loving, and Christ-like are those that have suffered the most affliction. The worst thing that can happen to any of us is to have our path made too smooth. So are you one of those smoothies? It's not a good thing, guys, <laughs> to be a smoothie. God works through the rough and difficult times that come forth in our lives. Saul sought him every day. God did not allow David to fall into Saul's hands. Remember the story of Job? A righteous man. A guy that's obviously blessed with so much. Satan comes to God. There's this conversation. Well, it'd be easy to follow you and love you. I mean, look at this guy. He is so blessed. Why wouldn't he say, praise God? But man, if I was to hurt him, I bet he wouldn't praise you. So chapter 1, God says, Okay, you can bring out some pain and some fire, but you can't personally touch Job himself. And so, man, there's all kinds of pain that happens in Job's life and all kinds of loss that occurs. Chapter 2, Job's still praising God. So conversation continues and Satan says, Huh. Bet he wouldn't love you if he personally was suffering. So God said, okay, you can't take his life, but you can inflict some physical, personal suffering. 
And so this occurred. And yet what we learn in all of this is that Satan was only able to do what God permitted him to do, what he allowed him to do. You see, Satan has horrible and vicious a foe as he is. He's on a leash. He can't just come and rip you to pieces. But he's on God's leash, and it's only for a specific season to fulfill God's business. Turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Another illustration here. Jesus is facing a guy who's demon-possessed in a, in a difficult meeting here. Uh, starting at verse 11, we read in Mark 5, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. You see, these demons recognize Jesus. And, and that should, man, that should help us, shouldn't it? I mean, think about this. You may feel like Satan is after you, but when he looks at you, he recognizes Jesus. Right? Isn't that good? Um, anyway, uh, it goes on in our text. It says, he gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. So understand that Satan is only able to do what God gives him permission to do. God has his eye on you and has his hand on the thermostat. God is not aloof. He's not out there saying, oh, I wonder what's happening. I wonder what's happening with my child today. That's not how God acts. As one guy said, he's not one of these gods who say, oh, that poor crispy critter. <laughs> I've left him out an hour or two too long. He's really burnt by now. I better get him out. That's not our God. Matter of fact, here's a thought, according to the scriptures. You are invincible until God has accomplished his purpose in your life. He's not going to take you out one moment until he's finished with his will and purpose through your life. Uh, in Revelation chapter 11, we are introduced to two witnesses who come and they have miraculous powers and they have a message that has to be shared. And we read in the text in Revelation 11, it says, And when they had finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit came against them and killed them. So when did they die? Only after they had finished their testimony guys you're going you may be going through the fire you may be going through a difficulty but know this you are invincible until God is finished with his perfect work in you for this time until it is the time to go and be with him forever all right third truth here a good God doesn't negate good sense <laughs> look at the Verse 15 with me back in 1 Samuel 23. When David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. Now, where was David? Uh, he was in the best place to hide, where there were a lot of places to elude someone who's trying to chase you down. 
here's kind of the point. David didn't just say, well, I'm invincible. God's protecting me. God's got a purpose for me, so I'm just going to walk right up to Saul and say, I'm God's man. You can't hurt me. Just go ahead. Give you that. No. David was using his mind. He, he, he was trying his best to do his part. He understood God's sovereignty, but he also understood his responsibility. God didn't make you a dummy. He wants you to use what he has given you. That mind that you have is there for a reason. He used every means at his disposal to protect himself. He understood that God was in control, but he also understood he had a role. He had a role in following God. I love it. One guy said, God made the liver, but I have to duck. God made a liver, but I have to duck. We have, we have a role. There is common sense in, in what we have to do. We can't just expect things to happen when we have the ability to do a part that God calls us to fulfill. In Luke chapter 16, there is an interesting parable that we refer to as the parable of the shrewd manager. There's a manager that comes in. He gets in trouble because he's pulling some shady business. And he's about to get fired. And so he does something that's very illegal. He calls a guy in and he says, okay, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take, change the book, cook the books. Uh, take what you owe and cut it in half. Cook the books. Next guy comes in. He says, I, you know, I, I want you to cut your book, cut what you owe as well uh, from like 1,000 to 800. And, and so he does that. And then it says in the end, this is really kind of interesting. Um, obviously, what he did was wrong. Obviously, what he did is not something that is advised. But the man in control, the one in control, he commended him, oddly enough. He praised him. In verse 8, here's what he says. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. God's given us a reason. God wants us to work together. God wants us to brainstorm. God wants us to use the stuff that he has provided for us for his kingdom use, for his purposes. We're to be on mission. We're to be about the Great Commission. We're to be about caring for people. We're to be tuned in. We're not just to sit there and go, no, be shrewd. Be, be ready to, to work for God's purpose. Be ready to try something new. Don't see anything as a, a sacred cow. You might need to make hamburger out of it, you know. But be, be ready to be flexible. Someone has said the 11th commandment, thou shalt be flexible. And, and, and there, God wants to do that work in us. David was doing his part. He just didn't sit around. I read a story about a guy in New York City. He went to a bank in the midst of Manhattan, and he said... Uh, I'd like to take a loan out for $5,000. And, of course, the bank person said, you have any collateral? He said, I pulls out of his pocket keys to a Rolls Royce. He said, I have a Rolls Royce parked out in front of this building. He said, would that be enough collateral? Yeah, yeah. So the guy does a little bit of work, makes sure it's his car. 
He takes the keys after the guy leaves, parks the car underneath the bank in the parking garage of the bank. The guy returns a few weeks later to pay his $5,000 loan off and to pay the interest, which was $15.41. The loan officer approached him and said, I don't really understand why you needed a $5,000 loan. Uh, as I did my homework, I discovered you're a multimillionaire. So why did you need the $5,000 loan? He said, listen, uh, there's nowhere to park here in New York City. And I figured, what a deal for $15.41 to park my car for two weeks. This guy was not playing checkers. He was playing chess. He was using his brain. He was using his mind. You can't stop a good God, and a good God doesn't negate common sense. One last point. Bad times call for good friends. Look at our text here, 16 through 18. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horish. David had been on the run Man, this stuff about Christians are always supposed to be so happy and bubbly. I remember when I was in college, this worship leader in the group, our church, very talented musician, Shannon, you don't know her, so I can tell you. Shannon. She drove me nuts, though, because every time I saw her, praise God, hallelujah, I'm just like, dude, I couldn't be that happy all the time if I tried, you know? And I thought, this, it's just not that way. We want to live in the joy of the Lord. But sometimes we just don't feel so happy or so joyful. You know what helps? People who love the Lord that you can call, that you can be with, that you can commune with. That was Jonathan. And it's so unlikely when you think about a guy who's set up to be the next king. And the sacrifice of Jonathan just blows my mind. He says, you know, it's obvious God's working in you, David. I'm not to be the next king. You are. My dad knows this, even though he's a hothead. Oh. What was so special about Jonathan? How could he do that? He shared something with David. He loved God with all his heart. He looked at David and he said, man. I remember when you approached that giant with your sling and you said, you defy the living God. You're going down, buddy. They shared a love for God. And that made all the difference in their relationship. And I love that part of the verse that says, Jonathan helped David find strength in God. Man, when those tough times come and those difficulties and God's trying to teach us, often he teaches us through other believers, through other people that can minister to us and help us. 
Uh, yesterday, on the second Saturday of every month, sometimes I remember and sometimes I don't, uh, the association has a prayer meeting at 10 o'clock. You know, you show up and hopefully some other pastors or church people come together. You're just praying because, you know, we want to see God work in our association. And so I happened to remember yesterday, and I went, and, of course, uh, you know, our beloved friend David Sizemore, who's association leader, um, he was there and several other pastors. And uh, I have to confess, we talked a lot more than we prayed together, but we enjoyed talking. And one of the guys, he, he said, well, you know, we're still trying to get back on our feet from these past couple of years that are crazy, just to be honest about it. And he said, but it's really, man, it's just helped me just to be here together. Just to be here together. Sometimes it really helps. Sometimes we think we've got to be super spiritual. But no, sometimes we just got to be together. Sometimes we just gotta, we just got to rub shoulders and we've just got to encourage one another and we've just got to remind one another we belong to God and that in God we have the greatest treasure of all. And what a blessing. What a blessing that is. Um, guess my challenge to, to you and to me is wherever God takes you today ask God God who can I help find strength in you today who can I help remind today that God is present Lord uh, I thank you for your word I, I thank you for a man who certainly wasn't perfect We know all about that. But God, you you just change you just change everything, Lord. And, and it's true for us too today, Lord. Maybe there's someone here that's listening and they've been thinking about God. But uh, although maybe they've stuck their toe in the water, they're not willing to dive into the water of grace and forgiveness and the message of the cross. And it it's not enough just to barely get wet. You got to be submerged in it, and I, I pray maybe this is the day to do that. To say I'm jumping in, both feet, place my trust in Jesus Christ, and find a new life because of what He finished on the cross for me. Um, God, what a great time uh, to radically change someone. And so, Father, do that if you want to in someone's life today. God, for others of us who, eh, for some reason, uh, we've got more caught up in our ouchies than you. Forgive us, Lord. Bring us back to you. Remind us of you. And God, may our eyes be open so we may strengthen others who need to be reminded. You're still there, Lord, and you're still in charge. And it only happens for your purpose. Otherwise, Lord, it's just for a season. Move among us. In Christ's name we pray.